Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 26 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this intro on Sunday, October 26th, 2014. Today, my interview guest is Rondell Williams. Rondell is an Android and iOS programming enthusiast. He loves mobile computing and thinks that the future of tech lies in what advancements we'll be able to make within this section of the industry. He's fairly new to the world of Android and iOS, but welcomes you to follow him on his journey to become the best mobile developer that he can be. Here's our interview. Hi, Rondell. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks a lot for being on the show. No problem. Glad to be on. All right. Thanks. So one of the things I like to ask everyone is just, I like, I'm interested in people's origin stories. So if you could talk a little bit about how you got started as a developer, why you chose this profession and, and why you do what you do. Yeah. So um, I got started, um, uh, I have my bachelor's degree in history. And so after graduating, it was really hard to find a job, right? So uh, I graduated from college actually in 2013. So only about a year ago, I knew the degree in history wasn't going to really get me anywhere. Um, for a while, I did want to be a professor. And then I met my wife. Mm-hmm. She was like, hey, I don't really want to have a long distance relationship or anything like that. So back in my mind, like, I was, you know, I told myself, what else could I possibly do that would be really fun and interesting, right? I've always been one of these people that uh, I never wanted to just do anything for money. I've always wanted to do something where I could go to work and feel like I was playing. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have always loved, you know, cell phones um, and cell phone uh, technology. Yeah, I grew up during smoke, you know, of the PDA slash smartphone era. And so I've always wondered, you know, how do you program these phones? How do you make apps? I never knew it was something you can go to college for until just last year. But that's pretty much how I got my start. I just was a guy who wanted to create apps and do cool things with uh, computer technology. I kicked it off from there. All right. So, I mean, obviously with a shorter career, uh, this won't be maybe as relevant, but how do you stay current with changing technology? So even from a year ago, you know, you are you know working in the mobile space. Android's uh, going to be putting out version five soon. It's going to be 5,000 new APIs. There's new stuff coming down the pike all the time and being right. a self-taught person as well. How do you stay current? How do you learn? How do you kind of find out what's going on in the industry? We kind of went back and forth about this before on Twitter. My biggest thing is podcasts. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is just because it's one of those mediums where you know, you could listen to them while you're in a car. You, if you're at work and you're bored, instead of listening to music, you could listen to a podcast. And, you know, a lot of the people that do podcasts really do a good job of just explaining a lot of, you know, a lot of new technology to you. Sometimes because they're actually speaking to you, you know, they're not using a lot of the big esoteric words that many of us don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get this really it's a really easy way to just gain a lot of knowledge about technology. You know, what I also like them for is some podcast uh, hosts, they'll talk about some new tech, uh, technology that's out there. And then, you know, it gives me an opportunity to go home and Google it and uh, sometimes even find a book. So books are probably my second way to really keep up, um, you know, not so much on technology, but to learn new skills. And I also like using some of the video sites like uh, lynda.com, probably like the biggest one I use in plural sites. It's another one that I also use also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are good. You started out, as we talked a little bit there just a second ago, you started out as a self-taught programmer. Talk to me a little bit about that. And you mentioned a little bit too, how you chose mobile, but specifically, you know, how did you choose Android as the platform you'd attack very first? Was that the ecosystem, the language, the environment? Tell me what drew you there. 
Well, um, I actually choose uh, chose Android first because I actually had an Android phone when I started. Mm-hmm. So it was the easiest way to actually see my work um, on my actual device. So that's why I chose Android. Um, and also, when I first started um, a computer science program, I started looking around before the computer science program I did. Uh, Java was like the primary language being taught at universities, right? So, um, of course, Java is used with Android. You know, that's why I chose that. But I got started just watching YouTube videos, right? Um, I would watch a bunch of different guys. Uh, specifically, I remember this one guy. Um, he has a website called thenewboston.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a bunch of stuff on, you know, Java, C, C Sharp, Android. Uh, and with Android, of course, you know, that involved Java, XML, Objective-C, all the different courses. And so I got started with that. And as I, you know, previously uh, mentioned, I just started watching, you know, videos on London.com. Um, I also started out with Treehouse. Wasn't too pleased with that very early on because it was just a beginner thing. I wanted to learn so much more. I pretty much went through those videos in like two weeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's how I pretty much got my start. And then, you know, as I wanted to learn more in depth things, I actually went to oracle.com and looked up the Java, um, documentation. Mm-hmm. And when it came to Android, you know, I just went to developer.android.com, learned as much as possible. I would say the smartest thing I probably did to really start off was to create apps that I really wanted to uh, use that I couldn't find in the, um, Android store. Yes. And, and that was probably like the, the, the number one thing that got me really like uh, learning and searching for what I wanted to use. Right. I think another important thing to point out, I really didn't use Stack Overflow that um, that that often. And the reason being is because there was too much clutter on a website for me. Right. So usually uh, most people tell you, hey, you have a question. Go ahead and use Stack Overflow. I do think it's good. I, I would never you know, take away from Stack Overflow. But I think that going to find answers for yourself. And look at the actual docu- you know, documentation that you know, uh, either Oracle created or um, Apple created or Google created you know, for their respective platforms. Um, I actually think that's the best way to find um, answers. Of course, you know how, of course, you have to ask the right question to find those answers. Mm-hmm. But that was pretty much how I taught myself, just asking questions and realizing what I was doing with the technology I had. And that allowed me a very easy way to look for the answers. That's great. That's one thing I always recommend when people are like, well, how do I learn programming? How do I get into it? Obviously, I'll point them to a couple of places where they can learn the basic syntax. But the very next thing I want to talk about is, hey, you know, what are you into? Uh, You know, a friend of mine was into stocks. I was like, okay, let's build a a portfolio, a place to manage your stock portfolio and just get stock updates and whatever. You learn services, you learn calling, uh, you know, services, you learn parsing things, you learn saving to a database or some kind of store. Or if you're into baseball, let's do something to track your favorite player statistics, those kind of things. And it's like you said, you, you, had things you were interested in that you couldn't find on Android already, and you started looking after them. So that gives you the drive and the motivation to to press through. Maybe if you hit a roadblock, because it's something you're interested in. So right. I think it's really right. good. You also began uh, when I looked at your website, your blog. It mentions that you started pursuing a master's in computer science. So started looking at formalizing that that computer science education that you started to give yourself. So what made you want to desire to do that? So what gave me the desire to do that was just to pretty much validate that I knew what I knew. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if you go on uh, websites like Indeed or you go on um, Dice.com or any one of these job sites where they're looking for um, software developers or software engineers or, or whatnot, 
you know, they all say, you know, they want someone who has two, three years of um, computer science education. Um, so that was my primary reason, um, you know, to actually go ahead and get my master's um, in, in, in computer science. You know, and down the road, um, I actually eventually kind of went away from that and started to more and started to do more of the self-teaching thing. Um, after I kind of saw that the computer science programs that I was in, and I was in two different ones, you know, in those programs, I learned a lot of cool things, you know, about uh, sequential logic and, and databases and uh, combinational logic and, you know, um, how computers actually work and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But I found very fast a lot of these things were things I were I was able to find you know on my own and 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 I found that out just by you know when I would have class projects and stuff there were a lot of things um, my professors wouldn't talk about so when I had to do a class project I had a, I would have to Google all this information and I, and I and after a while I pretty much I pretty much started to you know notice I was teaching myself still yeah. while I was in school you know I got to the point where. Um, I was like, you know, why am I paying a university, let's say, uh, I think I was paying somewhere around maybe $13,000 for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I just said to myself, why should I pay $13,000 when I'm pretty much teaching myself anyways? And so, you know, I kind of dropped out of that and then just decided to go on teaching myself. Uh, and so now I'm not in a master's degree program anymore. Nope. Uh, that's good. I think it's, uh, I think it's wise. And obviously you can always go back. So Right. Uh, I think there's basically no harm there. Uh, So, you know, thinking about all these things and the the path you've been through so far, do you have advice for people that are trying to start a career in development and and kind of opinion on which way? So a friend of yours was coming up and there's maybe maybe just out of high school, 18 years old, interested in computers. And they're like, hey, I'm interested in this. What do you think I should do? What would you say? I would say the best thing to do is um, if you are at the high school level, um, just to start off there. Try to find some type of club within your high school that's doing work with, uh, you know, with computers or find other people that are interested in web development. But even, you know, even so, uh, if you don't have that around you, there's always, there's, you know, now with meetup.com, um, there's meetups all over the place, mm-hmm. right? So there's always somebody out there who wants to uh, mentor somebody or there's always other people willing to learn and you can learn side by side. So I would say that's the best thing to do. And I'd also say, you know, use YouTube to to your advantage and learn as much as possible. And so I would say the self-taught way or my second option would be to go to a dev boot camp. I think those options are amazing. Of course, some people don't have the money to go to them. Yeah, I feel it's best to actually learn the technologies yourself, um, not just programming languages. Um, I mean, learn about different types of platforms, operating systems learn about databases, learn different programming languages, um, build some of your own stuff, and then maybe go to a computer science program later in life. And I, I would say that because once you understand technologies, a lot of the classes that you w- will have um, in a computer science program will come that much easier to you. My primary example of that is if, you're, if you learn Java, right, and you go into any computer science program, you know, maybe the first two classes you may have to take. Or classes you have to take very early on are going to be classes in Java or maybe some other um, antiquated language, right? So if you know these things already or you already know maybe object-oriented um, concepts or functional programming concepts, well, you can go into college already ahead of everyone else. And, you know, you can guarantee yourself almost good A's. So uh, I would say definitely the route to take would be to teach yourself first. Um, if you're a visual learner, use YouTube. 
or any of the other video tutorial websites. Like I said, lynda.com, Pluralsight, Udemy, Udacity. There, there are a bunch of sites out there, even YouTube. I would say stay current with technology always. Uh, podcasts are perfect. Read books and just build things that you like. Whether you're in web development or mobile development, start off there and then do the formal education if you feel that you need it. Um, and as we spoke about earlier, Pete, uh, you know, jobs are willing to hire you without the actual formal education. So it may be also better to just get the teach yourself or go maybe through a debt boot camp, earn some money yourself, and then pay for college out of your own pocket instead of going into a ton of debt or a computer science degree. Yeah. Yeah, obviously I agree with you. So what do you think? You, you mentioned meetups earlier. Have you found uh, any kind of interaction you've had with the development community as you're coming in towards the beginning part of your career? Have you found people receptive? Have you found them helpful? Whether online communities or in person, you know, what's sometimes we'll get a dev, bad rap in the dev community that we're either not very social or not friendly, especially to people who may be asking questions, you know, that kind of Nick Burns, your company's computer guy, where you <laughs> ask him something and you're like, gosh, just move, I'll do it. You know, have you found <laughs> yeah. to be friendly or, you know, standoffish or what's kind of what's your experience there? So what I found is that uh, I have found both, right? But I haven't found anybody who's been uh, very angry. So, of course, you have some people who are the stereotypical nerdy, geeky software developer, right? They're very introverted. And that's not a bad thing. I know it scares off some people. Uh, I have seen those people out there in the community at meetups. Um, but then you have some people who are very social. Um, there are some people who want to just get to know you. So for example, quick story, um, I can give you uh, down here, uh, I actually live in Atlanta. And down here, uh, I was at a Atlanta um, Android Developers Conference last month. And there was a guy who had never saw me there before. Um, and I was actually saying nothing to him. And he walked up to me and he's like, hey, who are you? Um, you know, I never saw you here before. You know, what do you do? We got into a whole topic about um, art, the new uh, Android runtime uh, system. And we just got into a whole conversation about what type of ads we're building, uh, what we're interested in, in uh, Android and some of our projects that we've been working on. But what I have found is that most people are receptive. I, I haven't found very many people who are, you know, mean and whatnot. Maybe that's because uh, I've done a lot of work on myself more more than in like the enterprise space. Mm -hmm. We're probably a lot busier, but you know I haven't found any, you know very many people to be that angry. All right, good. I'm glad to hear that. I know one of the things that you're into is functional programming with Android using Rx Java. Can you talk a little bit about what is that? Uh, you know, what is it good for? Why would you use it over you know in your project at all? What kind of projects might it be best for? That kind of thing. Yeah. So. Um, basically, um, anybody, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people who have done uh, things, even with web development, have used web services, right? JSON, um, things like that. So what functional program or what RxJava is, it's a type of functional pro uh, programming that was developed by Netflix. And so why this had, this has made uh, programming for the mobile space a lot easier. And also, like as I already stated, for web development. And basically what it is, it's a way to make synchronous programming, um, for the most part, if, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, more asynchronous or make it appear to be more asynchronous by calling different uh, method calls in a, in a functional way and for them to be more reactive. So um, actually, the best example of this is probably on Netflix, right? So when you go into Netflix, you log into your account and, um, you know, Netflix, you have that grid view that you see that shows like your top 10 movies and whatnot, right? Uh -huh. um, so every time you scroll through that, uh, the server is calling a list of movies to go to your interface, correct? Yeah. 
And so basically what functional program allows us to do, it actually uh, speeds that all, uh, speeds your interface up or speeds up that service for Netflix. So instead of uh, Netflix having to synchronously go to maybe different objects, right? So if you're taking an object-oriented approach, you don't have to go to different classes to call all these different types of methods to, you know, to work together in an asynchronous environment or into an asynchronous part of your class. Instead, what you can do is you can call, um, let's say you had a uh, method program in a functional way called on next. So every single time you need to pull up a new movie or a new photo of a movie that's stored in the server that you may have, you can keep calling on next, on next, on next, on next 10 times in a row. And you can have these things pop up a lot faster on your user um, interface. So what it is, is basically it's a way for um, developers uh, to create applications or services that are a lot more reactive to user interaction instead of the old school um, a, um, asynchronous way of doing things, which is, yes, it seems fast to the human eye, but it's actually a lot slower than the functional method of just calling everything very concurrently. Okay. Thinking about Android 2 moving forward a little bit is, you know, just yesterday they talked about the new Android release is going to be called 5.0 and the L name they're going to give it's Lollipop. Uh, is there anything you're excited to see in this uh, new Andro- uh, Android release? As I mentioned, supposedly 5,000 new APIs. There's kind of some new UI paradigms coming out. Is there anything that you as an Android developer are really looking forward to using or, or having on your phone or in apps you can build? So uh, it's funny. Um, I kind of backtrack a little bit. Um, on Twitter not too long ago, I actually predicted that it would be called Android Lollipop. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a bunch of people, um, they, were, they thought it was going to be Lemon Meringue Pie, or some people thought it was going to be Lemon Pie or Licorice. I saw a bunch of things. But for some, some reason, I, was gonna, uh, I, I knew it was going to be called Lollipop. Um, anyways, so yeah, the, the biggest thing that I'm really excited about is probably the user interface, uh, this new um, material design. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm really into, you know, the color scheme and the flat paper look that they have uh, and, and whatnot. So that's the thing that I'm excited about the most. And also, um, iOS has kind of had this feature for a while, but I'm really excited about the notifications that pop up on, on your lock screen. I feel that there's so much that can be done with that. Especially, you know, I felt Android has always been a little bit better than iOS at notifications, mm-hmm. but I feel like this makes it so much easier. Um, I actually have the developers preview of my phone right now, and now I hardly ever open up my phone. You know, if I need to swipe away a notification, all I do is, you know, open up my phone's lock screen. So turn my phone back on and swipe, swipe away something I don't need to look at. And, you know, then now you can also like double tap right from, from the lock screen um, if you need to go straight into an app. So uh, instead of having to open a lock screen, then, you know, pull, you know, pull down the, uh, the taskbar at the top of your screen to click on a, you know, a notification, uh, you know, they've done away with that. You can still do it, but you don't have to only do it that way. You can uh, respond to notifications right down the lock screen. And that's probably my favorite feature. So that and the new UI that they're trying to, um, you know, get everybody to pretty much uh, adhere to. Uh, throughout the Android community, I already like that. I don't think it it'll be great for every app, but um, it looks it looks beautiful to me. Your blog also mentions that you're getting into iOS programming recently too, just to kind of round yourself out in mobile. Where are you at with that? And I'm interested to hear some comparisons you might have between iOS and Android programming from the ecosystem, from the IDEs, uh, from the language, you know, Objective C versus Java, just the, all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. So um, currently where I'm at right 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 now with that, um, I'm really into web services and um, asynchronous tasking. So I'm currently, um, I've already got through all the syntax stuff and, you know, the common loops and everything like that. But right now, so right now I'm working on learning how to do um, asynchronous tasking and all that with Objective-C. Um, I haven't really gotten to any of the Swift, uh, Swift stuff yet. Um, but I will say, um, and this is probably this one of those things where I've done so much in Java and Android. Um, I'm still trying to get comfortable with um, Objective-C and whatnot. So, uh, so far, the biggest difference has been just the syntax stuff has been like the hardest thing. Uh, I feel like Java is a lot simpler than, than, uh, than uh, Objective-C. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, uh, I also use Android Studio as my um, IDE. So that has been, um, I would say that is still very buggish. So Xcode is a lot better. Um, I, it's not as smart as IntelliJ, but I, I really like how everything is um, auto-completed for you. But I will say with iOS, it's a lot easier to create user um, interfaces. And the fragmentation thing is something you don't really have to deal with. Even with the new um, iPhone 6 devices and all the different screen sizes now, it is a lot easier, especially when it comes to testing. You know, because when it comes to testing for Android, I'm testing out for like 50 different devices, Uh right? But, you know, on uh, Objective-C, I can create a storyboard and, you know, some code that can be tested out on just a couple of devices. Um, I really do find that to be a lot easier. But because I'm just running Objective-C2 um, and all the methods, it does take me a lot longer. Um, and I do think it's a lot more verbose than uh, Java in some ways. Although Java is not a very verbose language, I do feel that Objective-C is very, very uh, verbose. So, uh, but from what I'm hearing, Swift is you know, a lot simpler and a lot, you know, uh, pretty toned down. That's definitely true. Do you have, when you were saying, you know, about testing, so do you have a couple of devices you use for a library? Do you, you typically just make a ton of emulators? Have you used uh, like Jenny motion or anything at yeah. all for emulators or do you, uh, you know, what do you do as far as that and for iOS as well? Okay. So, um, for, for Android, what I pretty much do is, uh, I use uh, a Nexus five device. Um, when I, when I need to hard test something, Right. So when I want to know how it actually looks on a device, I use a Nexus 5 um, because I have a Nexus 5. And now I feel like that's the Android device that is pretty much central to everything. Right. Like that's Google's Android device. That's how Google wants thing, you know, things to look. So I go with that when I need to test something out on the actual device. But when it comes to, um, you know, trying to find out how things look on different screen sizes, I actually, yes, I do use uh, Jenny Motion. For two reasons, uh, they have a bunch of different preset uh, devices um, 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 in their database that you can just pull up, um, and then also it's a lot faster than the way uh, faster. Uh, yeah, way faster. Right. I mean, less than two seconds. You know, while I mean, I, there were some times when I would use the Android uh, emulator where I would be waiting for ten minutes to just test out, you know, my app on that. Um, so uh, yeah, I did away with that. Um, for um, iOS, I don't have uh, an iPhone, and my wife really won't let me use hers mm-hmm. <laughs> and whatnot. But um, I used the simulator um, uh, just for that, um, and it's not as functional as, let's say, some of the Android stuff out there. But you know, it it, it does the job. 
um, and, and whatnot. So yeah, that's, that's what I pretty much, uh, that's what I do for the most part. Okay. As we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to promote? You know, talk about your blog, your Twitter, any kind of projects you're interested in, your, your, any kind of your development services or anything as an independent, anything you want to push at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, anybody uh, listening to the podcast can definitely find me at um, rondajoid.wordpress.com. I usually write about one to three uh, articles a month. Um, but if anybody has any questions or comments or wants to learn anything about Android, they can definitely hit me up on there. Um, I'm also on uh, Twitter at rondajoid. Um, that is R-O-N-D-A-D-R-O-I-D. And then uh, also, yeah, yeah, I'm actually working on a couple projects right now. So the biggest project is a um, I'm working on a scanner app uh, to scan library books um, at my wife's school. Uh, that's probably my biggest biggest project right now, right now. And I'm also working on a uh, app for my blog, um, so that anybody who wants to read it can just download the app instead of uh, going to an actual web page to read anything about that. Um, and I'm also looking to um, do a video series on RxJava, mm-hmm. just so that I can learn more about it myself. Exactly. And just so, I mean, I can start using that because uh, uh, anybody who uses uh, Android probably knows it is pretty functional already in some ways, right? With all of the the ways, uh, methods and all that are called in it. Um, and so it seems like a very easy way to just uh, uh, program something I've already liked using and like I said, I think it's wonderful the things that it can do, uh, especially if you're into web services and developing a ton of apps that use web services and whatnot. So um, that's probably uh, everything. And also, it can be find, found on uh, LinkedIn. Um, my name is Rondell Williams, so R O N D A L E. And I can also be found on there. And if anybody has any questions, they can contact me there. Great. This has been uh, really great, Rondell. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks again to Rondell Williams for making time to speak with me for this episode. My pick of the week this week is RemoteCoder.io at RemoteCoder.io. RemoteCoder connects companies who wish to hire remotely with the right developers who work remotely. More and more companies are hiring remotely, and yet it's still not easy for the right people to find and connect with each other. RemoteCoder aims to rectify this. Candidates can filter jobs by location restriction, whether contract or permanent or whether they're full or part-time. You can also impress employers with your open source work thanks to GitHub integration. This idea is just getting started, but it sounds like a great idea. And as long as it doesn't turn into an Elance or Odesk race to the bottom, this could become a great tool for developers looking to work remotely. That's it for this time. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find me on Twitter as at Pete on Software or on my blog, PeteOnSoftware.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.